Okay, welcome to After Dinner Leadership, where we're connecting aspiring leaders with inspiring leaders. And I'm your host, Simon Fagg. I've spent the last 20 years developing leaders. Many of the best conversations I've had over leadership have been around the dinner table. And so I wanted to introduce some of those inspiring leaders to my friends and family who are aspiring to leadership. My co-host tonight is George Edwards. George, how are you doing? Good evening, Simon. Yeah, very good. Thank you. How are you? Very well, indeed. Thank you. I'm kind of nervously excited. This is our first episode, as you know, and so the energy is running high, um, but excited for the conversation. And uh, for those that don't know, some of you will not, George is also my son-in-law. So he's also a family member that I wanted to bring to the dinner table this evening, the virtual dinner table. And uh, George, I've got some quick fire questions for you that I'm going to run through. And uh, we only have a minute to answer them, answer them in. Okay. Can you handle that? Um, I hope so. Let's go. Here we go. Name. George. Company. Reach Food Service. Current position. Category manager. Ooh. Running or hiking? Hiking. Burger or salad? Uh, burger. Early bird or night owl? Definitely night owl. Mountain or beach holiday? Mountain. Favourite movie? Oh, Forrest Gump. Ooh. Cups in the cupboard, rim side up or down? Up. Who inspires you? Ooh, that is uh, Tom Hanks. Book or podcast? Oh, podcast all day. L- latest podcast? Uh, latest podcast. The audiobooks count? Harry Potter. Yeah, that hurts, mate. Uh, COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic or global financial crisis? Uh, pandemic. Oh, that sounds horrible. Okay. Snakes or ladders? Uh, ladders. Knife or fork? Knife. Leadership or management? Uh, management. Shoes or socks? Socks. Nice. Oh, man. I feel like I failed you. We didn't get through all the questions there. Well, I'm pleased to have heard, and we've learned so much about you in just that minute, I feel. Oh. And uh, thank you for sharing. Forrest Gump, eh? Great film. Okay. Good leadership Good lessons there. Nice entrepreneurial messages, being authentic. Love it. Okay. Well, George, are you ready to meet our guest this evening? I am indeed. Good. Well, one of the premises of this show is that I invite people along who have inspired me. And actually, this person is someone I met when I was a very young boy. Uh, in, In 2008, though, I started delivering training workshops for his company and um, have seen him grow as a leader in that process, a very values-driven individual. He happens also to be one of my older brothers. And so we're keeping it in the family this evening. And like to welcome along Stephen, Stephen Fagg to the show. Stephen, how are you? I'm extremely well, thank you, Simon. Nice to be here. Good. Well, uh, we could spend the rest of the show going through all of your interesting history, but to get everyone up to speed, I'm going to ask you the same quick-fire questions that I asked George. Are you ready for that? Okay, I'll try it. I'm going to reset the clock. And here we go. Name? Stephen. Company? Keelings International. Current position? Managing Director. Running or hiking? Nowadays hiking. Burger or salad? Burger. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Mountain or beach holiday? Mountain. Favourite movie? Uh, La Bella Vita. Cups in cupboard, rim side up or down? Uh, rim side up. Who inspires you? Um, ooh, ooh, who inspires me? My mum. 
book or podcast? Book. Latest book? Uh, the one you bought me the other week called Data something. <laughs> Data <laughs> Story. Data Story. Data Story. Okay. <laughs> Music or podcast? Music. COVID-19 pandemic or global financial crisis? Global financial crisis. Snakes or ladders? Uh, ladders. Sni- knife or fork? Knife. Leadership or management? Leadership. Shoes or socks? Ooh, socks. Oh, oh, nice. Nice. Very good. <laughs> okay. Well, you've got some things in common, gentlemen. I'm glad yeah. I brought you two together. Mm. Great. Uh, George, what have you learned about Stephen from your quickfire questions listening? Oh, he's probably more humane than me. He chose financial crisis over a global pandemic with mm, mass casualties. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yes. yeah, I just feel awful about myself now. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Okay. So, um, Stephen, we want to find out a little bit about your leadership journey. And I think a good place to start what were you doing for your career when you were in your kind of mid-20s? In my mid-20s, I was an account manager, a sales account manager, um, working for a small family business at the very start and then a, one of the largest fresh produce companies. So I joined the fresh produce industry 30-odd years ago. Yep. And so I was selling to the retailers, so selling product from importing fruit from around the world and selling it into some of the supermarkets um in the uk there used to be a lot more of them back then as well um there's a lot less now so who so would have been I, a key customer back then, then uh, tesco's they, tesco's was okay. always my biggest customer but it would have been you know there's been topsy-turvy journeys and all of those but tesco's been the consistent one for me um yeah. all the retailers i've supplied at some point oh, um, in the uk Excellent. And your thoughts on leadership then, if you put wind the clock back, what were you looking ahead? What were your aspirations at that age with regards to leadership? Did you have leadership aspirations then? I, I guess I did. I was, if I think about, you know, my mid twenties, by then I'd already had three children. I've got six children. Wow. Uh, I wanted to have some more children. I'm one of 11 children. So I always wanted a big family. And so to provide for that was always going to be, uh, a challenge I knew it'd be more expensive as they got older and that is only very true yeah. um, so I wanted to provide for them and, and it wasn't an easy start you know my early 20s I got made redundant a couple of times and so you know in the first recession I kind of went through in the 90s I lost my home um, I just was newly married and so you know having gone through that experience I just wanted to provide for my family and have you know sufficient funds to have a larger family. So that was really my aspiration. And I, I guess just hard work was what I was thinking, was hoping I get noticed for my hard work and just be pleasant and upbeat to be noticed. And I was fortunate enough, uh, I guess the ambition was I went from the small company, I was headhunted to join uh, the, one of the largest produce companies in the UK at the time. Yeah. And that's actually the best decision I ever made because they had a really good training program and I was put on the fast track management program. And I, they, they believed in me more than I could believe in myself at that time. I didn't see what I could become. And they so how old were you when you joined them? Roughly? 26. Right. Okay. 26, 25 or 26. Yeah. So I, I knew I could sell. That was not a problem. I knew I could build relationships of trust with people pretty quickly um i think i had naturally some good empathy skills but then they saw some leadership potential it wasn't just i could sell they saw that i could be a manager so they put me on this fast track 
with the objective that you'd be running a division of the company by the age of 30. So you become a business unit director. So I guess at that point, I was on a, a training program with four years of kind of intensive training with a view to be uh, a leader of, a, of one of these business units. So that's when I started my career plan, really, in my mid-20s. Yeah. One thing that would be good, I asked about the company size. What Give us a scale of the kind of size of the organization that you're working in now in terms of personnel and, and kind of volume that, that yes I, I work uh, Keening so it's a it's a produce company so it's a, a mid-sized produce company so we turn over 400 million euros I'm responsible for around 150 to 170 million of that turnover so I sit in the uh the leadership board of the group um of the 400 million but I'm directly responsible for what they would refer to as the international part of the business so it's based um, in Ireland, the headquarters, and I'm responsible for the non-Irish part of the business and the fastest growing part of the business, actually. We, so we're growing very quickly. And so um, we're based in the UK, uh, got offices in France, um, office in Holland or trading offices. We have farms that we're res- directly responsible for uh, and running in Costa Rica and Brazil. Um, as well as our own production in the UK, we have a farm in the in the UK as well, producing our own tomatoes, for example. I guess if they're eating melons in the UK, there's a good chance that that, that has come through your business at some point, isn't it? Correct. One, yeah. one, one third of all the melons would come from us. Yeah. Uh, around 15% of all the tomatoes or salads would come from us. Um, if you're in France, half of them would be pineapples would be ours. You yeah. know, so that type wow. of thing. Yeah. Right. Excellent. So let's talk about uh, people that have inspired you for one moment. Who's a leader that helped you at any stage of your career, really? Anybody who you feel has had a role model influence on you as a, as a business leader? Do you know, as I thought about, if I think about that, it, it makes me reflect that I've had more bad examples of managers than I've had good ones. And that's actually been... Um, <laughs> that's actually been one of the biggest lessons is seeing other people manage in a way that I find uh, opposite to what their ob- you know the objective is, which is for me very much about values first. And um, so often I've worked for organisations, but that's not been the case. But the one when I think about it who had the most influence of that was a managing director, the the big company I joined when I was twenty six, and he was an accountant by trade. And one thing I saw in him is he asked people into his office, he'd ask a question and he always had the answer better than the person who he asked the question of. And I just saw his ability to cut through deflection. He could find out who was honest, um, who could answer straight. He, He already had the answer, but he was more trying to find out about the person. How did that? How did you make sure that didn't become manipulative? I I, I think it did. Oh, okay. <laughs> In some ways, I said not bad examples. <laughs> I, I think I think it did. I mean, there was a there was a fear when people went into the office, what question you were going to be asked because he would already have looked up the answer. Yeah. Um, so the positive aspect of what you're saying from that is, uh, if I've understood it correctly, there's something about being prepared for whatever meeting you're having, but also being thinking ahead. Is that, is that the, the yeah, trait? Well, I, I also saw a trait, I guess more so differently, actually. I think it was more 
not accepting deflection. You okay. know? And so someone will come in and say, this is some you know big drama. And the chances are, that's mostly 20% of the issue. 80% is down to something that's still in their control. Yes. So they would naturally, we, by default, I think we're, we're made from a very young age to deflect, you know, from responsibility. And what he was doing, and you could call it manipulative, but he was making them emotionally responsible for, you know, their actions and not to deflect. And he could say, okay, yeah, they're doing that, but what are you doing? And he would bring it right back to them every time. Lovely. So, so how then how then has that affected the way that you deal with you know one-to-one meetings and and when you have issues that you have to deal with how has that affected the way that you deal with those things yeah i think it's making sure i only deal in honesty um and not accepting half truths the other thing i've i've learned which has really helped me is i i've you know i've got people around me who are fantastic with data brilliant with numbers who can i call it red penning they can they can go down and just red pen uh, a suggestion or a, an argument and just with hard data get out of the emotional of it and hard data and that you know to provide that in in those discussions so i'm looking for that i can still make gut feels but it's just nicer to have the you know a, a, a concrete level of facts uh, a lot quicker in a meeting setting. So things like we do now is we stop doing presentations, for example, in our meetings, we're now only doing pre-reads. Um, so pre-read, um, so there's less emotion being caught up in the you know group think and excitement of the moment of the presentation, by allowing for real challenge by doing a pre-read. So that, that's part of, I guess, so going back to your previous point, so about being prepared, yeah, I guess there is, doing pre-reads has really made us uh, a higher performing team uh, and it's lifting some more challenging but in a safe environment yeah. i can get that that's that's nice i want to pick up on something you you shared some of the lessons learned and george's question around you know kind of spark this thought around honesty i i'd love to just get some insight into things you've learned you wish you'd learned earlier in the cycle so uh, maybe let's start with three things you wish you'd learned earlier or lessons you feel you've learned too late what three things would you say would fall into that bucket? Okay, because I was a salesman at the start of my career, I was always good at pretending I was listening, but actually pre-positioning my next question. Um, I'd say it was a real skill set. I was always ready with the next answer, you know, or there'd be out of a sequence of thing I'm going to follow through to get to my desired outcome. And what I wish I'd learned earlier in leadership is I switched that salesman bit off and did more listening um, and, and really listening, not pretend listening. Okay, so that's one. What are the other uh, two? Being aware of my ego. So uh, this only became relevant when I read a great book called uh, Egonomics. And it really hit me. Uh, there's a paragraph in there which, talk, which talked about your biggest blind spot, your biggest weakness is your ego applied to a strength. Cool. Let's see the third it. one. Um, first things first, another book I read, First Things First. I wish I'd learned earlier on about my priorities and putting first things first. Lovely. So we've got the wish you'd listened more 
really is it more, more listening like a deeper listening is it deeper really listening with intent yeah, yeah. to understand the other person not just to look like i'm listening okay yeah. so being aware of your ego and first things first george which of those would you like to explore further of those three which of those would you like to dig into a little bit deeper do you know, I'd love to talk more about the ego piece. I think uh, given the situation that I'm in in business, you know, in a growing business, much smaller than Stevens, I think that uh, looking at the personal characteristics from my point, it's definitely something I'd love to see some more from Stephen on. Okay, Steve, you mentioned about the book Egonomics. Uh, we've spoken about this before. Give us a little bit of a flavour for what the, the lessons are about this. And and yeah, give us a... Well, give us an overview. It, very early in the book it gets you to just tick what you think your strengths are. And so, you know, by this stage, I'm pretty confident. I'm now 53. You know, I would have done this in my mid forties and I would have ticked what I would say is my natural strengths on there. I then, um, <laughs> and you think, for example, I've always thought I was diplomatic. And I thought that's, that's a strength of mine. But once ego is applied to that and you don't know it because you're so confident, to someone else, once ego is applied to that strength, it becomes uh, a massive blind spot. And so to someone else, I'd be seen as political, manoeuvring, manipulative, because I've lost, my ego has been applied. I've lost the ability to have empathy and to really understand what that skill is. Um, and so you can go down those strengths. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other examples here. That's a great example. Up. That's a great example. Um, so yeah, so it's the strength overdone, the confidence in it. Um, I mean, it's sometimes called hubris, isn't it? Kind of this uh, lack of awareness of the impact that it's having. Yeah. Um, and and was it really reading that that was a wake up call, or or do you think you'd recognised it earlier? I'd ask the question: things you'd learned earlier, wish you'd learned earlier. Was that really kind of a pivot point? Do you think on that topic? I, I think it was actually. Right. And, it, and it, for example that's when I began to start listening more because I, one of those things was about really uh, listening. And I realized I wasn't listening. I was actually just positioning. Yeah. You know? And so, um, so once I started to understand that, I said, I step back from this now I can listen, you know, and I think I've become a better leader as a consequence of that, because now I'm asking people, I'm not, I'm giving less direction and I'm giving more suggestion to people. Yeah. You know, and trying to get them to find their answers. So I'm not the fountain of the answers now. I'm just the fountain of maybe getting a route to their own answers to there. And that's kind of how I'm changing my style, I think, as I get older. Yeah. I don't feel I've got to give all the answers. Um, I don't have all the answers. And, and the older I get, the more I realise I, I don't have the answers. So that's interesting. You've, you've talked about age being a, a reflection point on there. And so we could argue you've got to wait till you're older, got more experience to kind of learn that lesson. Do you think you could have caught hold of this lesson around ego in your late twenties and early thirties? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I would have been so much better for it. So much better, more balanced. Cause again, you're not going to lose, you don't want to lose your natural strengths. They're part of your character. So, but it just means you've got that check, that counter check and it's something you can't see. So what you've got to seek is for honest 360 feedback from people and people that really will give you a straight answer, you know, and they, they can't be scared of telling you that, oh, actually, you're obnoxious. How, how <laughs> do you tell someone, you know, you have an ego? What, what's, what's the, 
do you see what I'm saying? Like, what's the I do, what's I the... do it all the time. I do it all the time, George, <laughs> because um, I think I guess we haven't touched on this really. But if I was to say about my leadership, it's more around values, 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 values. And one of the values I really believe in is is honesty. And I know it's a common value, but really being honest in the workplace. People sometimes think you're soft, but actually it's the toughest thing to do is to be honest. And so when someone is, um, yeah, applying that ego, I use the ergonomics checklist, for example, to make it easier. So you take your strengths. Here's where I think you've overstepped. I don't want you to lose your strength, but you're overstepping. You've become obnoxious to your peers. You've become too passionate. You know, your passionate's gone from passion, and, you know, to obnoxious. Or, you know, and I have to regularly, uh, some of you know some of the people that I deal with, but regularly call people in to check um, about either their language, their body language, their tone, whatever it may be. And it's a regular occurrence and they come to expect it from me because that's what you're going to get is honesty. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, George, but that's, yeah, no, definitely. that's what it is. And it's done, done in a way, I remember reading this years ago too, and I put it on my laptop and it was, it was to remind me anytime someone came into my office, they had to leave more motivated and more confident when they came in. So it wasn't about them coming in and I'm trying to knock them down. It's actually, no, they're going to be better, more motivated and more confident than when they came in the room. That's great. I love that. Steve, I want to switch a focus a little bit here. Thanks for sharing that insight. And I, I'm very conscious as we're recording this and as people listen to this, that we're in the midst of quite a challenging time for a lot of businesses um, with regards to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. Um, and many aspiring leaders, this will be their first crisis, you know, significant crisis. I mean, you'll have individual companies going through different crises, but something that's impacted the nation and the, and the world but any lessons from those previous crises that you carry forward into this i guess the one big thing i've had is um the confidence about there's a future you know the the to keep the context of um you know that there is a future and you just got to design a strategy to make sure you stay relevant in that future and to keep redesigning yourself you know to be relevant and ready for it um I guess some of the learnings I've had is I'm um, obviously like everybody else can see what's coming It's making sure we're ready for it um, and to have those contingencies ready and don't hang around, you know, so there's times I move slowly, uh, a bit more thoughtful. There's other times I will move rapidly and particularly in the financial situation, particularly around costs, um and making the right investments to be relevant for the future i move quick you know so at those times i may not have all the facts but i just know that pace is your best protection is to do you know be decisive give clear leadership that's what people need um and and give them hope and confidence in the future that there, there is a as long as we you know hold on tight and do the things we're meant to do and keep to the values, keep to the values. That's the same thing, the same message, keep to the values. It's only when we're not living by the values that things go wrong. So, you know, keep those values and then and it will come right. That's, and um, that's it. That's helpful. Yeah. I, I'm, I want to come back to the, the, the values word that you've mentioned, because again, it arises again when we're talking about uh, COVID-19. 
Um, and for those leaders who are looking up and working with or around someone who doesn't evidently work by values, what, what's your advice in kind of being true to your values and the conflicts that that creates? It's quite interesting. I've often been kind of put into positions within Keelings in particular to sort out companies that were culturally adverse to where Keelings want them to be. And so I learned very quickly, painful as it was, that people would leave the organisation if I stood up for certain values. Without me saying a word, they would leave because they either knew what I was about or what was coming. And so they left before they would ever be challenged on those values or the values were just uncomfortable for them. You know, they didn't fit. And I'm glad they left. Not immediately at that time. So, and I think in answer to therefore your question about if I was in a company like that, I guess the first stage, if I think about some situations is I, I try and help the company in the process of becoming a values led organization. I've done that pretty much everywhere I've worked is actually only part of the journey to take them there. Yeah. But if it was really that adverse, I, I would must probably leave. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would leave. In the well, same way people left the values that I represent. They weren't comfortable with them. They left. And so I would try and change if I if I believed that change was, you know, part of what I could deliver for the business. And it's surprising how much I, you know, I, I didn't realize at, at at 26, I didn't realize my capabilities to influence and change. I didn't really understand it. And I wish I had learned that quicker. That I had a lot of knowledge already at 26 that I could have helped managing directors with again, you know, and, and people in those influential positions have taken some of that responsibility to sponsor change and to recommend it. I love that. And I, I guess my final question, just to uh, maybe it's a little bit more ordinary, but I know you love to read and uh, and you've read it, recommended some great books to me over the years. And I'm interested to know what book would you recommend to someone that's got aspirations to be a leader in their business, in their organisation? Any book that you would really recommend? Yeah, I, I think if you want to be a leader that's going to have life balance and do things right, not just be rich or have a hospital wing named after them, as he says in the book. It'll be Stephen Covey's First Things First. I think the other massive one that changed me and has been consistent is um, uh, The Three Keys of Empowerment by Blanchard. Yes. It's been something that has been my checklist of empowering an organisation. And actually, I've consistently used it, as you know, Simon, in the business. You did some yeah, training yeah. recently on it. Yep. Um, it's my Bible as far as getting an empowered culture to move away from hierarchy and fear to empowered, informed, you know, emotional people who, who yeah, want to expand their abilities. Love it. Stephen, it's been a wealth of uh, information there. I'd like to take you back to your 25, 26 year old self. You had more hair then. Certainly. It's <laughs> slightly lighter less children i've got as many grandchildren as i had children now yeah absolutely. <clears throat> a lot lighter uh, simple advice you'd give to yourself so as you look back on that that's a young energetic boy good knees 
what uh, what, would you, what what simple you know sentence would you share with you know what note would you slip into his file of facts uh, and um, remind him of um, being honest with myself being honest with myself that I think that's where I was at 26 I wasn't always honest about myself really I was still trying to find my feet of who I really was yeah and I think I could have done so much better if I was more honest about what my strengths and weaknesses were and really what my strengths not not in you know really deep down um not superficially in front on the stage but who I was in the mirror yeah um, and I think from that I would have been I may not have liked some of the things I could have I could have stopped some of the things that were maybe a nicer person. I could have been kinder, uh, nicer earlier. Okay. Um, I wasn't particularly nasty, but I just think I could have been kinder. And um, yeah. Well, there's no conversation about my pocket money going missing or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you've been very uh, generous with your time and your insights. Thank you so much for, for joining the, the podcast tonight. And George, I want to come to you and just ask you, what, what's been a key takeaway from that conversation that you think could help you with your leadership? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, listening to Stephen has been really insightful. A lot of his answers have been um, less to do with the people around him and more about the person he is, which I thought was interesting. Um, often when I think about my day to day, I think about the tasks I have to do and the people I have to see. And uh, I think, you know, uh, it's definitely inspired me to seek some more personal development in the um, in the values that I, I feel are important. Um, and, and I think that shows a lot of confidence that Stephen had in, you know, affecting change in his arena and perhaps uh, encouraged me to have more confidence in how I affect change in mine. Stephen, George, thank you so much for joining the After Dinner Leadership Podcast. Really grateful for your insights. And one of the key things for me is values has come through as a really important word tonight in leadership. So values led leadership. We look forward to welcoming you again to another episode of Afternoon Leadership. Please invite your friends and family to come along and listen and be good. <laughs> yeah, pass the gravy. Pass the gravy. All right. Catch you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye.